It's what everybody's talking about, the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting in Connecticut. The aftermath, the sociological ramifications, the politics. A lot of other shows have a lot of answers. I don't claim to have all of them, but we're going to have a serious conversation about all this and more. Oh, it's December 18th, 2012. He's been shunned by commercial radio. Unable to be bought and paid for by corporate America. And running on the fossil fuel of common sense. For those of us that choose to live dangerously in the radical middle, welcome to the zip code famous Michael Groff Show. Now the world is getting older. There's a few things to be said. Do you believe the things they told you? Do you believe the things you've read? There's a rule on the corner, but it's always been denied. Cause they don't want you any wiser. You're just towing the party line from the west side to the east side, from the north side to the south. You'll never get back information if you believe in the word of mouth. There's a lot of things to talk about when it comes to. What the hell is going on in society? And sometimes this show really highlights the good, the bad, the ugly of all of it. And there are just times where you really don't know what to say. And you just hope that in all of the chaos that's out there, you're going to be able to find an answer. Welcome in. It is the Zip Code Famous Michael Graff Show on a Tuesday, December 18th, 2012. Mike at KMGX.com is our email address. It is Mike at KMGX.com. Michael Graff Show, AOL Instant Messenger. It's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-G-R-O-F-F Show. Michael Graff, the handle on Twitter. Graff Show on Google Talk. And for everything else Michael Graff related where you can leave your feedback, your comments, questions, suggestions, listen to this and all of our other podcasts. It's all up and available to you at the one and only MichaelGraff.com. While you're there, you can not only listen to all these shows and leave your feedback, but you can also donate to this program. Yes. So all of that can be done via the mega portal that is the one and only michaelgroff.com. Um, there's so much, obviously, that's been talked about, that's been said with regard to the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting that occurred in Connecticut last Friday. 20 children dead. Six additional adults killed, and of course the shooter killed himself, so 27 dead in all. The whole murder-suicide thing. Uh, really one of the bloodier days, one of the more gory days in U.S. history to have occurred and uh, really rocked the town of uh, Newtown, Connecticut. And obviously, what else can you really say that your heart really goes out to the families of the people that have lost children. I mean, to lose a child has just got to be the most devastating thing in the world. To lose a, a part of your family, uh, to just do so. And, and any kind of death, we could say, usually is a senseless death. But really, in this case, you're talking about a truly despicable, disgusting, horrible act 
committed by uh, an individual. And we really need to have a serious conversation about all of this because obviously the rhetoric has been ratcheted up. All of the conversation has been very heated, debate very heated. And really, what does this say? This is this is something we could talk about for hours on end, probably. But we'll try to encapsulate this into one program and really focus on a couple of aspects. Before I even get into all of the politics that surround this issue, and when I say politics, I really mean the gun aspect of it, I think the more important part of any tragedy that occurs like this, anytime we have somebody in society that just flies off the handle, we really need to start talking about the mental health of people in this country and how we handle the mentally ill. And anybody that would kill 20 children, their own mother, and randomly just shoot people, obviously is a very unhinged individual. Uh, this could be said for a lot of people. And I, I think we really need to have a conversation about that and how we treat the mentally ill. This is not a person that just woke up one morning and decided, hey, I'm going to gun down a bunch of people at a school today. I'm going to shoot my own mother in the face. This is not something that just happens overnight. These are people that have slipped through the cracks in our society for many, many years. It's a long time coming. And unfortunately, many of us in, our, in society are responsible for this. We'd like to say that this person is solely responsible for their actions. And sure, they are ultimately responsible for murder. They are ultimately responsible for the, a despicable act. But... Ignoring these people as they are growing up through our society and doing very little to help them is a terrible disservice. And when we look at something like this, we really have to examine what it is, how it is that we failed someone in society so badly that they would fly off the handle. And I'm listen, I, I am not trying to say let's have sympathy for the bad guy. You know, obviously, this is a person that really lost it. But how did how did this person get so nuts in the first place? This is not necessarily just these aren't all people that just become evil overnight. These are not people that just decide to, to wake up one day and do this. So what happens? And that's really part of the conversation that we really need to start having before we get into all the political nonsense that surrounds it. Mental health doesn't have to be a political issue. It is an issue. Health in general doesn't have to be a political issue, but especially mental health. What is more important to us as human beings than our brains, than our mental stability? You can say our physical health, but what good is physical health if you don't have any intellect, if you don't have the sanity to support anything that you do? It is the very basis for how we live and interact and, and are civil to each other as a society. We need that sanity. We need a good, appropriate mental health. Obviously, somebody that becomes unhinged like this didn't have that or has slipped through the cracks, as I mentioned. And I think that's really where we need to begin this conversation is where does this start? How does it get started? How do these people slip through the cracks? And I think you have to go back to the time pre-adolescence, really. In spite of what you may think, not all men are created equal. Some people are born with higher intelligence than others. Some people are born with better athletic ability than others. Some people are born legally blind or deaf or unable to walk. And some people are born with better mental acuity than others. And some are born with predispositions to act in a specific or a certain way. 
Much research has been done with regard to the criminal mind and what aspects of the brain are either missing or are malfunctioning. Not just biochemically, but what parts of the brain just aren't there. The, the parts that regulate the ability to discern right from wrong. The basic governance of the mind. You know, these are things that are obviously factors. And those are some things that we can't necessarily help. Now, just because somebody has a mental predisposition to act in a specific way or a more likelihood to act in a certain way because of their various brain chemistry or the makeup of their brain doesn't mean that they'll act that way. It just means they have that predisposition. So what it comes down to is not only that, but how we raise our children and how we identify problems that we see at a very young age. Again, pre-adolescence, we're talking six, seven, eight, nine years old. Kids that are a little bit too violent when they play with each other. Kids that focus on, you know, kids that are abusive to animals or to other people or even to inanimate objects in an excessive manner. Kids that say things that, uh, you know, you have to be careful. I mean, you know, Art Linkletter used to say, kids say the darndest things. Well, yeah, they do, but you have to be careful when a kid starts talking about suicide at young ages. Sometimes, yes, kids will be kids, but some kids that are always bullies or some kids that are always doing whatever, they're always, they're always acting in a way that is not necessarily just innocent and childlike. And these are things that we have to identify. We have to identify various behavioral disorders in young people at an early age. And we have to start uh, getting after that. The problem that we have, at least here in the United States, is that for a long time, back in the early and middle part of the 20th century, how we handled all of that and before then, is we'd smack a kid around and tell them to behave themselves and shut up. That's what it was. You know, you weren't, there was no such thing as ADD. We just said, ah, you're just stupid or that you just smacked them and told them to shut up. And you know what? Maybe that would work sometimes. Maybe a kid would be more submissive, but they would still wind up growing up to be an abusive ass or other mental issues would just come about and they'd still be weird people. Then the trend, the late seventies and eighties came about and the trend to send kids to psychiatrists and prescribe them with various drugs, Ritalin, Adderall, and all these other type of medications. We began to create a society beginning in the 80s and especially in the 90s and the last 10 years. We created a society of kids that are on all sorts of psychotropic drugs. In the United States, we have more children on psychotropic drugs than any other nation in the world. We lead the world in children taking prescription meds for mental health. That is somehow our solution. We've identified all sorts of various problems, all sorts of various disorders in our children. And our solution to it is generally, as usual here in the United States, it's the quick fix solution. It's, well, we'll shove a few pills down their throat and that'll help them out. And you know what? For some kids, for some, that is the appropriate response. And it does help. But I will tell you, there is so much we don't understand about the brain. There is so much we don't understand about the way the human mind works. As much as we'd like to say that we do, we really don't. And we don't know how all of these medications will affect all of the brains, 
all the minds of the individuals that we are pouring these pharmaceuticals down their gullets. We don't understand how that's going to affect all of those people. Clearly. And one of the, the, the common thread in all of the people that I named earlier, uh, whether it's this latest shooting, this, the uh, Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting, whether it's uh, the theater in Colorado, whether it's Columbine, whether it's Jared Loeffner shooting at Gabby Giffords and all of that, or, or Tim McVeigh in the Oklahoma City bombing. The common thread is not that they all have instruments of destruction to carry out their, their ends, bombs, guns, etc. The common thread is that they're all mentally ill people, and most of them all at one time took psychotropic medications. They all have mental illness. And in many cases, their mental illness was either briefly addressed, improperly addressed. In some cases, it was ignored by authorities. It was well documented. Like in the case of the Virginia Tech shooting, people said this guy is going to shoot up the school. This guy is dangerous. And people still chose to ignore it. And every time, but the problem is because we have laws in this country that um, are, are, it's so hard to do anything with the mentally ill, to turn them over to the authorities, they have to have committed a crime. To lock somebody away in a mental institution, you have to basically say, I'm going to kill myself and I might take somebody with me. And then you have to get witnesses that see it before you can even put them away for a couple of days. And even when they're away for a couple of days, then they can turn around and say, yeah, you know what, I'm, I'm feeling better now. And then you let them out. And that's, that's how we handle the mentally ill here. The mentally, it's like, if we can't cure it with a pill or maybe a quick sit down with a psych, then it, it doesn't really exist. Oh, people will write about it. People will write all sorts of, there'll be a paper trail where people will say, oh yeah, I knew this person was dangerous. How often does that happen after a shooting? People go, oh yeah, well, listen, I, I wrote a report and oh yeah, I filed documents or I knew this person was dangerous. We all, we all talked about it. We all said he was going to come in and shoot up the workplace or the school or he was going to do something one day. And sure enough, he did. Yeah, yeah, you know, we knew about it. But nobody does anything. Now, I'm not saying we turn into a society of Gladys Kravitzes. We're all watching everybody and we're all uh, in each other's business. But, you know, I even think back to the guy that um, uh, the Javon Belcher from the Kansas City Chiefs who killed his girlfriend and then killed himself. And I think about how somebody gets into a state in their head where they feel that that is the only solution they have. And I don't know about Javon Belcher's mental state. You know, I don't know. People say the NFL, concussions, all that. He didn't really have any concussion issues, but uh, there were certainly some mental issues that were, it's coming out that there were certainly some problems that were being documented that people didn't take all that seriously. And that's part of the problem. And to today's society, especially, you know, when you're a big manly football player, we don't talk about feelings. We don't talk about what's going on in our minds. We don't bother to evaluate uh, the situation. And uh, with children, we just say, well, you know, kids act out or kids are a little strange sometimes. Everybody develops differently. There are certainly warning signs that we just choose to ignore. And I think we need to do a much better job handling these things at a young age. Now, that's one aspect of it. 
The other aspect is not only that, but people that are that are somewhat more prone to mental illness. Look at the influences they have around them in society. Violent video games, violent movies, television, radio. The examples that are set by their parents or the authority figures around them. Now, understand it and listen very carefully. Because I don't blame violent video games, TV, movies, etc. I'm saying that a child that is raised on nothing but TV and video games is a child that may grow up to have social issues that may have interaction, you know, uh, problems interacting with other people, problems um, with work problems with, well, in, in every aspect of life, not everybody, you know, it doesn't apply to everybody. This is not a global thing, but this is, this is part of the problem. Now, you can say, well, Mike, there, were, there have been violent people throughout human history. Of course there have been. Humans by nature are violent people. We are. We are a savage group of people. We'd like to think that we've evolved and we're not as savage as we used to be. You know, we've evolved from the time where we had the Crusades and we killed millions and millions of people. We, we cut down half the population of the planet in wars over religion and whatnot. We'd like to think we've evolved beyond that, but we really haven't. We just use bigger words and have more interesting and a bigger diverse method of communication. We have more toys and gadgets and we have more things. But at the very core, we're still very much savage individuals. That's that's at the nature of it. And when we see savagery around us, most of us... Most of us can separate fiction from reality, but some of us cannot. Some of us who may have a predisposition toward violence, we think that that's okay. We become desensitized to it, and that's part of the other problem. We should be alarmed when we turn on the news at night and we see somebody is stabbed to death or shot or whatever, but it's kind of ho-hum. We complain, maybe. We say, oh my God, another murder, another suicide. Another guy, another car accident, another brutal death. But, you know, we really don't really don't think anything of it beyond that. Maybe that's part of the problem, too. The dissolve of the family, the dissolve of somebody staying at home, somebody going to work. You know, used to be you had a mother and a father or whatever. And again, this is not a rant saying we need a traditional family. You just need two people that love each other in the home that influence that have a positive influence on a child, that are able to help the child develop, guide them, go to baseball games with them, go to hockey games, uh, go to whatever extracurricular event, take uh, participate in their homework, ask them how their day was at school, guide them, not just set them down in front of the TV. But it's harder in our society today. There's various economic goals and expectations and and limitations and people have to work more than they ever have before so society is very much structured differently than it was even 30 years ago even when i was growing up so i understand that there are some things but these are all things you have to consider before you have a child don't you think i know people don't really think this stuff through but you know it's raising a child is a huge responsibility You're not just responsible for putting food in its mouth. 
for providing it water, shelter, basic essentials, clothing, and sending it off to school. You're, that's not the only thing, because just about anybody can do that. It's how you influence your child. It's what kind of a role model you are. It's what kind of a person you are to your child. It's what they see you as. It's how you, how you structure them, how you raise them, what kind of morals you put in them. And just because you raise a kid the right way, it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to turn out right, but they're more likely to. Guarantee you that if you raise a kid the right, if you, if you pay attention to them, if you take them to uh, school every day, you, you know, you participate in whatever their interests are. You, you help them out. You guide them. You, you're a moral compass for them. I guarantee you they will turn out better more often than the, the, the parent that just sets them down in front of the TV for six hours a day or gives them video games to play and says, get the hell out of my hair and says, uh, yeah, you're on your own, kid. You know, and, and unfortunately, there are a lot of absentee parents out there. And that that's another part of the problem. Look at the profile of a lot of the people that commit these kind of heinous acts. Yes, those people are generally adults and they are responsible for their own actions, yes. But how did they get there? That is very important. Yeah, humans throughout history have been you know, violent people. We've done violent things. One of the worst school murders in the, in the United States happened in 1927. Somebody used bombs. They didn't use guns. So, you know, people will find ways to kill other people if they're mentally unhinged. It's preventing them from getting to that point that I think is the most important and something that we need to focus on more than ever. We turn people away. We, we close down mental hospitals in this country. We have fewer mental hospitals today than we, than we did 10 years ago or 20 years ago. More mentally ill on the streets all the time. Walk through New York City one time. You'll just see people talking to themselves. Hell, you see that here in Phoenix. You walk down, people just talk to themselves. I'm not saying that it just because you talk to yourself means you're crazy. Because if that's the case, then so am I. And so are many of you. But I mean, they're just, you know, they're clearly talking to voices in their head. And, um, you know, this, this is a problem. This is something that needs to be addressed. And uh, all of these other factors. Look, social media provides a tool for narcissists now. A narcissist dream is the internet, is Facebook, is Twitter, is, uh, is a blog, is their own personal website. You know, and, and the more attention they get, the better they are. Personality disorders thrive on the internet. They thrive in games. They thrive in various aspects of our culture that are there. Doesn't mean that those aspects should be limited or taken away. It just means that we need to do a better job as a society in, in helping people and keeping track of, of what these people are doing. My God. How did Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold get to be the way they were to go around and commit that, that horrible uh, mass murder in Columbine? They had parents. They lived in a fairly nice neighborhood, fairly upscale. These are upper middle class people. We don't think of upper middle class people as being mentally ill, but that's the thing. That's the big trick of it all.
Most of the mentally ill people that have carried out these horrible acts throughout history in the U.S., whether it's James Holmes who shot up the theater, whether it's the guy whose name just escaped me that flew his plane into the IRS building in Texas, that engineer, whether it's uh, this, this uh, let's see, uh, the, the Virginia Tech shooter, any of them, Tim McVeigh, you know, the, the common thread to a lot of them also is that they're not mentally retarded. They might be mentally ill, but they have either very superior, if not genius intelligence. A lot of them are very smart people. And that's what makes them especially dangerous. They're smart, but they're unhinged. They're people that have been, by and large, left alone in life. They gather up a lot of knowledge, and then, you know, they just, they have no moral compass. They have no guide. So, this is the problem. This is one of the problems. A lot of the influences, a lot of the way we raise our kids. There's so many factors that go into how somebody becomes the way they are. And these are things that have all sort of become unraveled in the United States in the last 40 or 50 years. Because guns have always been around in the U.S. And this, that's another part of the conversation we're going to have here in just a few minutes. Guns have always been around. People have been violent with them, sure. But why all of a sudden have we seen this spike? Could it be our insistence upon psychotropic drugs for kids? Our lack of mental health? The fact that our population continues to boom at, a, at an incredible pace, cramming more people into the country, and that means more of these incidents are likely to happen? Well, there's all of that, too. See, there's so many more factors. That's what I'm trying to tell you. When we have this kind of a conversation, it's not as simplistic as ban this or do that. It is, it is a multi-tiered problem that needs to be addressed. And I think in this first segment, what I've done here is I've, I've tried to address this part of the problem, this, the mental aspect and the sociological aspect of it, because there's a lot there. I can tell you right now, if I raise a child, that child is not going to have access to the Internet, at least not without supervision. They will definitely not have a Facebook page, a Twitter account. They will have none of that. They won't have their own personal blog. They won't have their own personal cell phone, except for perhaps emergency uses. One that is closely monitored by me and the child's mother. Other than that, I mean, I would not raise a child in the way that, you know, in this lax way that so many people, now I'm not going to, I wouldn't be a dictator of a parent, but if you think they're going to just sit there and watch unsupervised television for hours and hours or play unsupervised video games or whatever, that's not going to happen. That's not something that I think is, is key to, to having a successful young child. You know, when we were kids, a lot of us played video games for hours. A lot of us watched TV and most of us turned out okay. Some of us didn't. But, you know, it was a different time also. And I'm talking about people 30, 35, 40, 45 years old. It's a different time. Things are changing. And so when we have this conversation about how this stuff happens and how people get so screwed up, how 20 children are killed by a, a sick person. It's not just about a gun. It's about a failure in society. And that's really what we're getting at here. All right. When we continue, 
We'll get into the political aspect of this. And we're going to have a real serious conversation. When I say real, I mean we're going to have a realistic conversation about what's going to happen in the future, where this country is headed, what should be done, what will be done, and how it's going to affect you ultimately. And we're going to put a lot of stuff aside and, um, you know, this is kind of what we're talking about. This is the big news and this is what's going on. Certainly we'll have some other stuff to get into as well. Uh, maybe we'll get you a worst song of the week, the stupid news file and you know, all of the other usual things that you've come to expect from this program. But, um, obviously this is still front and center as uh, funerals are going on. And we have to talk about the Westboro Baptist church. The Westboro Baptist Church, once again, showing the despicable nature. You talk about despicable parts of society. And uh, I, I'm, I'm all for free speech. I'm all for people exposing themselves. I, you know, people say, well, we should outlaw the KKK. No, no, we shouldn't. I'm glad that the KKK is so front and center with their beliefs. I'm glad that they have free speech. And you know why? Because now I know who the idiots are in society. They're not just meeting in some back room someplace. They're advertising their stupidity to the rest of the world. And I think that's fine. I like that those people are so stupid that they advertise their ignorance to the rest of the world. So we know who they are and we know to avoid them. But the Westboro Baptist Church takes ignorance to a whole new level. We have to talk about that. And I'm actually going to give a compliment to somebody that I never thought I would give a compliment to, but here I am about to do that in just a couple of minutes. That and a whole lot more. Still coming up, it's the Zip Code Famous Michael Groff Show. There aren't any words in a thesaurus or dictionary to describe how purely mediocre this show really is. Okay, can I get a translation? Because that was gibberish. It's the Zip Code Famous Michael Groff Show. Segment number two, it's the Zip Code Famous Michael Graff Show on a Tuesday, December 18th, 2012. Mike at KMGX.com, the email address. It's Mike at KMGX.com, Michael Graff Show, AOL Instant Messenger. Graff Show on Google Talk, Michael Graff on Twitter, and for everything else Michael Graff related. You can always go to michaelgroff.com. While you're there, you can check out the latest podcast. You can post your feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, all of your reaction to this or any other show that's all available to you. Plus, you can donate to this program. All can be done through the one and only, the amazing michaelgroff.com. All right, the, the second part of this discussion that we need to have 
much as I'd like to sit here and just play safety dance, I, I think it'd be a much better show. And But I think the events of the last several days and everything that's going on in society uh, definitely demands that we get into the second part of this discussion. And that is about the serious nature of the, the political aspect of what happened at Sandy Hook Elementary School. This Adam Lenza who went off and I'm just reading a story here during the, uh, during the little break um, between the segments. Apparently this guy, this Lanza, he was going, he committed all these uh, murders because according to sources, his mother was thinking of committing him to a mental institution. And according to uh, friends of the family, they say that, the shooter felt that uh, his mother loved the school more than him. So he decided to kill her and kill as many people at the school as possible. See, clearly somebody that was unhinged. He got word that she was going to lock him up in a mental institution, something that should have been done a long time ago. Many people believe he should have been locked up ages ago. But of course, you have to jump through so many hoops to lock up mentally unstable people. That's what we've been talking about here. It's not just as simple as you feel someone's a little bit crazy, so the people in the lab coats come by the house and you take them away. You can only put people away for a couple of days, even if they, you think that they're going to commit suicide. Doesn't matter. And if they're 16 years old, if you try to lock somebody up, there's, there's a hearing, there's a whole bunch of stuff you have to go through, depending on the state, of course. But most states, it's very, very difficult to prove mental instability. And that's the problem. All right. Now, the second part of this conversation we need to get into is the political aspect. And of course, everyone now is calling for gun control. Every time we have any kind of incident that involves a gun, the conversation shifts toward gun control. Now, before I get into my opinion and, and all of this, let's, I think if we're going to have this kind of discussion, unlike a lot of other shows and unlike a lot of other people, I think we need to set a basic standard for the conversation, some basic ground rules something that underscores the conversation. And that is, this is a discussion that will deal in realism only. All right. We're going to be realistic in this conversation. So let's set aside a few basic things. Number one, those of you that think that we should ban guns, that is never going to happen in the United States of America. We are never going to ban guns. People are not going to turn in their guns. Banning guns is never going to happen. All right. That is just it's a pipe dream that is so far out there. You have to be realistic. If we're going to talk about gun control. Let's be somewhat realistic. Banning guns never going to happen. All right. Now, some basics here, um, some facts. All right. Now, depending on who you believe, whether it's the Department of Justice, whether it's the FBI, whoever it is. There are various statistics out there talking about uh, the number of guns that are in the United States, privately owned firearms. That number is between three and four hundred million, meaning that there are more guns than people in the United States. I saw one figure from the Department of Justice saying there's three hundred fifteen million guns. All right. Let's just say that that's accurate. We don't have an exact number of how many legal gun owners there are in the United States. But again, most studies believe, whether it's the uh, Gallup poll, whether it's, again, the FBI, the Department of Justice, most credible sources believe that at least at the very minimum, one in four people in the United States own a gun. That's about it's just over 75 million people own a gun. All right. 
Now, to say that we're going to ban all guns or that we should ban all guns, you're never going to be able to do that because, uh, number one, they're an inherent part of the culture. If we have 315 million privately owned firearms in this country, there is no way you could ever ban them all. You, you could just, you know, people would never do that. All right. Uh, you can look at models like England or Australia or to a lesser extent, Canada and other countries where people have surrendered their firearms. And when you're talking about a lot of those countries, you're talking about countries of 20 and 30 and 40 million people. And it's a lot easier to govern 20 and 30 and 40 million people. And of course, in none of those countries did more than 25% of the population own a firearm. Not to mention, there were never more guns than people in the private sector in those countries. All right. Those countries were not founded on armed rebellion. A right in their constitution was never the right to possess, to keep and bear arms. Okay. That was, you know, so all of those, the people that make all of those comparisons between the United States and other countries, you can't do it because you're talking about completely different cultures. It's like when two patients go into the doctor's office complaining of similar symptoms, you don't always treat the two patients the exact same way. They have different medical histories. They have different reactions to different medications. So, of course, there's always a difference between the two. What works for one doesn't always work for the other. So I just I want to make sure we understand each other so that we're, we're not going to talk about banning guns. All right. That's just that's off the table. All right. It's, it's unrealistic. And that's why. Now, uh, when we talk about gun crime, even if we take the most aggressive numbers from the Department of Justice, which I've done extensive research over the last couple of days about this, um, the most aggressive numbers indicate that there's a possibility of about 250,000 gun crimes committed in the United States every year. What is a gun crime? Now, before you go, oh, my God, that's that's a high number. It is a high number. But a gun crime consists of any crime that is committed where a gun is present. Now, if I break into someone's house and I have a gun in my car, even if I don't use it in the in the act of robbing a home, but there's a gun in my car and I'm caught and then they search my vehicle and oops, there's a gun in there that is considered a gun crime. Just as pulling out a firearm and pointing it at somebody as I'm robbing a store. That doesn't mean that 250,000 people were shot. It means that 250,000 gun crimes. If we believe the statistics that at least a minimum of 75 million people have guns, uh, that means that 0.33%, less than a, about a third of the percent of the population will commit a gun crime. Now, of course, that number is actually a lot lower because most people that commit crimes are repeat offenders. They are felons that repeat offend. And felons are not allowed to own guns in the United States. Therefore, we have to consider that this number is really a lot higher. So about 99.9 plus percent of the population are legal gun owners who act responsibly and carry their firearms and, and handle their firearms and, and are responsible with them. So this is something that we need to consider going forward. All right. Now, we want to talk about an assault weapons ban. Let's do that. Again, we're being realistic here. Whether you like it or not, whether you are for or against an assault weapons ban, it's probably going to happen. 
It happened once in this country in 1994 with virtually no impetus for it to happen. There was no big event that occurred that caused people to go, oh, my God, we need to do it. So, of course, it got passed. It still got passed. Republicans and Democrats voted for it. Yes, it was a majority Democrat Congress at the time back in 1994. This was before the Republican Revolution of uh, uh, in the election of 94. This was before that. So the Clinton administration, along with Democrats and some Republicans, teamed up and they banned assault weapons from 1994 to 2004. All right. That is going to happen again, whether you like it or not. This incident, what happens is and we are very reactionary in this country. You see people get killed by an assault weapon, so we immediately ban the assault weapon. You know, never mind the part of the conversation we had earlier in the program about mental health and needing to reform that. That's not the first thing that Congress is going to go after. They're going to go after the assault weapons and they're going to do it right away. And for those of you that sit out there and go, oh, they can't do that. Well, they can and they will. So you better just be prepared for it. That is a reality. Again, we we want to talk reality here. All right. We can take our opinions. Let's put our opinions to the side for just a minute. Reality is. An assault weapons ban is coming. John McCain is in support of it. He has been a longtime proponent. Speaker of the House John Boehner. Both of these guys, Republicans. Kinda. Uh, They're in support of it. Certainly President Obama is out there now. He is in support of an assault weapons ban of some type. Some type of control. Some type of restrictions. Many Democrats are. Some Republicans are. What does that mean for you? Well, what it means is that If you try to go to a gun show and get a, uh, they're going to close up the loophole in the gun show. Now, most gun shows, you go there, and if it's a federally licensed dealer, they still have to do a background check and go through all of the normal procedures. But a private dealer doesn't necessarily have to do that. Unless, of course, you buy more than one firearm, and then they have to file a paperwork on multiple purchase and all of of that. Uh, I won't bore you with all the details of gun licensing and, and gun law. I'm fairly versed in how gun law works. At least I am as of right now, until they change it. Nevertheless, those uh, the loopholes are going to be closed up. That's one thing that's going to happen. We're probably going to go back to the 1994 style of assault weapon ban, probably even stronger than that. What is an assault weapon? Well, that's going to be redefined probably as well. But certainly any weapon that can be converted to fire in fully uh, full automatic mode, that's out. That's going to be gone. Uh, your AK-47, your uh, AR-15, Tommy guns, various types of uh, machine guns, belt-fed machine guns, all of that kind of stuff, that is going to be considered a banned weapon. Now, what does that mean for you? Well, what it means is if you try and go and purchase one of these weapons, they will not be available anymore as of a certain date whenever that bill gets passed. All right? Um, but... You know, those of you that think they're going to come and take your gun. Well, they can't because that would be another constitutional issue that no one. The government doesn't have the resources. They don't have the means to come by and inspect people's houses and take away their guns or ask them to turn in their guns or any of that. So, look, as I mentioned earlier, there are 300 at least. I'm just using a statistic here. 315 million firearms, privately owned firearms in the United States. Now, uh, estimates are that about 100 million of those are handguns, you know, revolvers, pistols, glocks, that sort of thing. Then about another 100 plus million are rifles and shotguns. And when I say rifles, I mean like sniper rifles, hunting rifles, those kind of things. And then shotguns. 
All right. Then probably 50 million plus at least, at least, maybe as many as 75 million or so, are assault weapons, machine guns, high-powered, high-caliber, automatic, semi-automatic weapons like that. At least that many. Obviously, the government can't come by and confiscate all of those. They wouldn't even try. That's not going to happen. So for those of you that say, they'd have to pry that gun from our cold, dead hand. It's not going to happen. Don't worry about it. So the question is, if they, if they ban assault weapons, what does that do? What change does that really make? Well, it makes people feel good. And I guess part of any law that is passed, I guess, nowadays is to make people feel better. Not allowing people to walk past the uh, the gate unless you have a ticket at the airport. You know, you can't go and greet your family at the gate anymore. You have to wait. You know, that was done to make people feel better. The TSA at, at, the, at the airports, it's done to make people feel better. All right. But I think that in order to have a law, if you're going to pass a law, it has to be done in a way that actually makes sense. And it has to have something to it that actually accomplishes something like what does an assault weapons ban really accomplish if there's already uh, if there's already at least 50 million, 60 million assault weapons in this country, if there's 300 million guns in this country, at least what does an assault weapons ban really do? Well, it also makes it so you can't sell, you can't distribute firearms to other people. You can't be a private dealer of uh, high caliber weapons like that anymore. High, uh, you know, powerful uh, military style uh, weapons like that anymore. But that doesn't mean people won't do it. But that's what that's what's going to happen. So there will be an assault weapons ban. What is it going to do? What does it mean for you and I? Probably not much of anything. Number one, I'm never going to own an assault weapon in all likelihood. Okay. So as far as I'm concerned, as far as how this affects me, well, really not much at all. I don't own an assault weapon. You know, I own a shotgun for protection of my property. Um, I may at some point own a handgun. Probably a 357, a Desert Eagle or something like, you know, something along those lines. Revolver. I don't know. I like those kind of weapons. I'm not really an assault weapon guy. I mean, you know, I've, I've held them before. I've uh, been out in the desert, shot a lot of guns before. But, you know, the assault weapon is it's not me. But uh, a lot of you out there are, you know, you are going to defend this and you're going to get in everybody's face about it. And you're going to say you can't uh, ban assault weapons. They're going to do it. Uh, The NRA has been very, very quiet, although I did just see a few minutes ago that they do plan a press conference on Friday to talk about all of this. No doubt they will defend against a possible assault weapons ban. But again, to be very realistic about this, it is going to happen. What does it actually do? Will it actually cut down crime? I'm sorry, but I really don't think that it will. We had an assault weapons ban in this country once, from 1994 to 2004, and right in the middle of that was Columbine, April of 1999. Two kids used assault weapons, handguns, and pipe bombs to carry out their dastardly deeds. And assault weapons were banned at the time. All right? Now, uh, there were certainly some loopholes in there, and I think this law is going to be a little bit different. There's going to be tighter restrictions. But, um, 
you know, I, I think that the problem with an assault weapons ban and, and a law that we put into effect is I, I really, again, what is it going to do? What purpose does it ultimately serve? Is it really protecting people if we already have, you know, it's kind of like banning water from the Titanic after the water is up to the crow's nest. You know, at that point, what does it do? Oh, maybe we might want to get rid of this. We might want to take care of all this water on this ship. Yeah, as, you know, I mean, I don't know. It, it, it seems like kind of a meaningless gesture at this point. Would an assault weapons ban have prevented a mentally ill person from going and shooting up a school? Probably not. Nevertheless, it is something that is going to happen, so you better get ready for it. And incidentally, people are getting ready for it. Gun sales once again are surging. Just after they had started to calm down after the presidential election, people thought, oh, here comes Obama. He's going to take away the guns. Democrat in office. Gun restrictions are coming. Well, yeah, I guess so. Because uh, once again, gun sales are surging like crazy. Smith and Wesson, Ruger, none of the, they, they can't keep up with all of the demand that's out there. I guess the real problem I'm having with all of this discussion about banning things, whether it's banning all guns or banning assault weapons or any of it, is that I guess I just feel that it, it doesn't really, it's not going to make any difference at all because simply because you ban something doesn't mean that it stops the crime. Examples. Well, we've banned marijuana and cocaine, LSD, PCP, all of that stuff. We have fought a very aggressive war on drugs in this country since the Reagan administration launched it back in the 80s. We have spent trillions upon trillions of dollars to fight the war on drugs. And guess what? Drugs are more prominent on the streets in the United States now than they have ever been in our history. More people can access marijuana so easily. It's a phone call away for so many people. And um, it's, it's been banned. We have fought war. We have fought a, a war on drugs. We certainly go after those cartels. We draw, try everything we possibly can to stop it. And we cannot stop it no matter what. You cannot. In fact, it is so bad that some states have just taken to legalizing marijuana. Washington and Colorado. It's legal now. Other states have legalized it for medical purposes. Other drugs such as cocaine and LSD and all that, eventually they're going to be decriminalized. I don't think they'll ever be legalized, but they will be decriminalized. We banned alcohol in this country. How did that turn out? Banned alcohol and the black market made so much money that the federal government would, oh my God, we're banning alcohol and we're... That it's not stopping. It's more, it's flowing through the streets even more than it ever did. Just because you ban something doesn't make it go away. It is nearly impossible to think that. Um, and uh, so even if you banned assault weapons, people are still going to have them. Do you think people are going to willingly surrender their assault weapons? That'll never happen. Once again, if we're going to have this conversation, let's just be realistic, all right? People are not going to surrender their guns, all right? They're not just, they're not going to turn them over. The theory that a lot of people have, I'm not saying this is my theory yet. I'm not even getting into really where I'm coming from from all this. I'm just telling you where most people are coming from in this country, uh, that most gun owners, they believe that if criminals have guns, they're going to have guns. 
criminals are always going to have access to weapons because, well, they're criminals. So those people are going to have access there. So they're going to want to have their guns. That's just how it is. Some people believe that if the police have a gun, then they should have a gun. We were, after all, founded on the principle of protecting ourselves, not only against others, but against our own government. You can call that kooky thinking. You can call that wackiness. But we fought a revolution on that very principle. We built a country on that very principle. And maybe that's flawed. Maybe that's bad logic. But that is how this country was built in the first place. We fought a revolution over far less in this country. We went to war over a damn tax. And that wasn't the only reason that we went to war, but that was the straw that broke the camel's back. We went to war because of a tax. So you think that, think that's bad. You know, try, start, try to start taking away people's guns. Obviously, that's not going to happen. The government is, isn't going to try and take away people's guns. An assault weapon ban, sure, that's going to happen. There's no debate about it. It is going to happen, probably even a stronger ban than in 1994. But a, you know, the government coming to take your weapons, it just won't happen in this country. It won't. So for those of you that really worry about that, don't. At least not now. I just don't see that happening. I will say the one thing that does concern me about it is this. When guns are being taken away from law-abiding citizens because of the acts of the lawless, people that don't adhere to the rules of society, then I think that our priorities are backwards. When we allow the lawless, the criminal, and their behavior to to dictate the policy of how the law-abiding citizen is supposed to behave, rather than telling the criminal how they're supposed to behave and having law-abiding citizens dictate the policy, then you know things are backwards. And right now, things are very backwards because the acts of a few lawless individuals are propelling Congress to change laws that are for the law-abiding citizen. That is my biggest fear, and that is the problem with what's going on right now. It's not about assault weapons anymore. It's not about weapons at all. It's about the way that our laws are being written and how things are dictated. Somebody goes out and breaks the law, so rather than try and punish those people or rather than try and change the way society is structured, rather than going out and taking a look at things in a, in a broader scale, a macro scale, people go, well, if we just ban those assault weapons, that'll take care of the problem. See, that's my problem with it. I'm willing to compromise here. I'm willing to even concede and say, all right, fine. You want to ban assault weapons? Go ahead. If it makes you feel better, if, if you think that it's going to help something out, fine. It, it, to me, I don't see it making a damn bit of difference. But if you really think it's going to make a difference, tell you what, have at it. Go for it. Knock yourself out. We did it once. It did nothing. We'll do it again. And we'll do it the way, however you want to do it, we'll do it. But I'm telling, and I know right now, and I'm not even, I'm not being facetious. This is not sarcasm. I'm not being satirical here. I am telling you flat out, if it were me right now, if I'm John Boehner, Speaker of the House, if I'm the Republicans, I say, I say or at least the Republicans that are opposed to this, I say, go ahead. But um, I'll tell you that uh, one of two things will happen. Either we'll have a, a couple of years where we don't have any shootings or, or the amount of shootings we have... Uh, with assault weapons goes way down 
and people will attribute that to the law and therefore it will have worked or at least in the in the mind of of simple cause and effect they'll say oh it worked hey it happened it worked it worked out well or mass shootings are still going to happen and people are going to go well what do we do now we we passed a law Again, I'm not being satirical. I'm not being cynical. I'm not being sarcastic. I'm not being facetious. Go ahead. I'm willing to concede. I know right now people out there that go, Mike, how can you be a libertarian and say this? How can you let the government dictate what happens? Look, um, we have restrictions on things in this country. We have restrictions on speech. We have restrictions on your right to privacy. Some of it we've, uh, we've, we've given up when we shouldn't have. Others, you know, are just naturally what's there. You know, you have an expectation of privacy, except, you know, when you're out in public or when you're on the Internet, you don't necessarily have an expectation of privacy. But otherwise, sure, you do. So anyway, listen, I'm I'm willing to concede somewhat here, but I just don't think that it's going to make that much of a difference. That's where I'm coming from. Um, if somebody can come at me with a law or with a with a system, and, and I know that, again, I've talked about for a long time how society needs to change, how we need to evaluate the mentally ill and all of that. And that is something that I think will make a far bigger difference in what happens in terms of crime than anything else. But I'm also willing to listen to anybody that comes up with a reasonable suggestion that employs the very basic principle of realistic expectations and a realistic application of a law. And I'm willing to listen to it. You come at me with it. I'm, I'm right here and I will champion it for you. An assault weapons ban. Hey, look, go ahead. Again, it doesn't really affect me anyway. And frankly, people that already want an assault weapon have one for the most part. So uh, go ahead. We'll see how it works. All right, and I'm going to take the wait-and-see attitude. President Obama's on board with it. John Boehner is apparently on board with it. John McCain is on board with it. Harry Reid, all these other people. Republican, Democrat. So we shall see. I have a, I have a strange feeling that individual states are still going to do what they're going to do. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We'll see how it all plays out. I know that there are some people out there and just as I, I've excoriated people that believe that we should ban all guns, let me equally excoriate those people that think that um, we shouldn't have any restrictions at all and you just do whatever you want to do. And if you want to walk down the street with your AR-15 out, you can do that. Look, this isn't Mexico, all right? You're not the federales, all right? Calm down, all right? I make fun of the libertarians that show up at their party headquarters carrying their guns on election night. I make fun of them because I just think it's silly. Yes, you have a right to keep and bear arms. Yes, you even have a right to carry them to libertarian party headquarters. Just because you have a right to do something doesn't mean you have to do it. All right. I have a right to go out and, and yell the, the N-word on a street corner. Doesn't mean I should. So think about that. Sometimes you just have to use a little bit of common sense. And that's really what I'm asking for here is realism and common friggin sense. You know, and I, I, I want to debunk one other argument. You know, people go, well, we should. Now, 
again, I'm sitting here telling you, go ahead and have the assault weapons ban. Go ahead and introduce it. Fine. But if you're going to use the argument that, well, you know, your Second Amendment right only, you know, it doesn't cover your right to rocket propelled grenades and tanks and nuclear bombs and all that. So that's why you should give up the assault weapon. Well, that's a foolish argument. A grenade and a tank and a nuclear bomb, those are all explosives. Those are all, um, you know, at least in the case of a grenade and a tank, they're, they're heavy artillery. Certainly, when we're talking about, we're talking about firearms here. We're not talking about heavy artillery. We're not talking about mortar rounds. We're not talking about nuclear bombs. We're not talking about any of that. I heard a guy on the radio today that was like, well, you should understand that uh, we already put restrictions in place. So you're not allowed to have a nuclear bomb. Like we already know that. I hate people that use the most extreme argument to make their point. Hey, we, you're not allowed. Yeah, we're also not allowed to to uh, own a um, a Moab. We're not. We probably if if uh, centuries from now, we probably all won't be allowed to own a, a a phaser array and photon torpedoes. Okay, you know we get it. Come on, man. You know, again, I'm just asking for sensibility and logic and common sense and a sense of reason and realism. Be realistic. That's the most important rule. And that is where I think so many people on the left and the right have gone so wrong. Ban all guns. Not realistic. I should be able to walk down the street with my belt-fed machine gun and uh, people should be all right with it. No. No, they don't have to be all right with it. I'm fine with open carry. I'm fine with somebody having a concealed weapon. I think most people would be okay with that, even if you're not. Again, reality is there's a lot of states that allow that. There's a lot of places where people do it. And anyway, we've talked about this to death. We've beaten it officially to death. I, I think I've covered every possible aspect, probably over-explained it as I am one to do, especially given that we've gone another half hour. We've done a full hour of a show already, and we've only done two segments. And I haven't even gotten into any other story. We've only talked about the Connecticut school shooting. We've only talked about Sandy Hook and uh, society and all of that stuff. But, you know, that's fine. This show, look, I, I don't know. Sometimes it's just a way to divest myself. And sometimes it's just a way I'm trying to get all sides of the argument out there. I really am. This is one of those situations where I've heard a lot of the arguments there are a lot of the same arguments that we have heard many times before on many other issues. And um, I just hope that people are sensible and realistic. And um, I hope that common sense can prevail in this society. I really hope it can. And try to understand that the United States, you know, is not, um, we're not Israel, we're not England. We're not Canada. We're not Mexico. Not anybody else. We are our own nation. Oh, and one other thing. I did find it strangely interesting that just a couple of weeks after I read that story about the Democrat in Alabama who proposed that teachers carry firearms, now we have a situation where 
Had a teacher been carrying a firearm, maybe something would have prevented itself. Now, again, as you may remember, I am against teachers arming themselves. I'm against it. Now, some people, again, some people say, well, in Israel, uh, their teachers carry firearms. Well, that's true, but that's Israel. Comparing nations, comparing societies doesn't always work. It is apples and oranges. It's a whole different culture over there. If the United States was constantly being bombarded by terrorists, and I'm not just talking about 9-11 or the Oklahoma City bombing or the, uh, or the World Trade Center bombing in 93, I'm talking about constantly, all right? If we had to endure what Israel has to endure on a daily basis, and it is daily there, then I think teachers carrying firearms and a lot of people carrying firearms would be sort of expected. Teachers have them there. It's a different culture. It's a different society. It's a very different lifestyle. When you're always living with the possibility that at any point some nut job, radical Islamic fundamentalist could run into a mall someplace and blow themselves up, You know, there have been many stories about a guy that shot someone dead before they were able to detonate that bomb. That has happened over there in Israel many times. So, uh, of course, of course, it's different. You can't compare the United States to that, just like you can't compare England to the U.S. What works for them doesn't necessarily work for us. All right. Now, uh, I guess I should just... For those of you new to the program or you stuck through all of this and you just wonder, you know, look, I'm, I'm very much pro Second Amendment. I'm pro gun ownership. I'm pro responsible gun ownership and people actually knowing how to use their firearms and being able to be responsible. But I'm for responsibility on a lot of levels, responsibility in how to raise your kid properly, responsibility in taking care of yourself or your children responsibility in society and in your your firearms and in anything else. It's important. I think people should be allowed to have a, a weapon to protect themselves and their home and their property and their family. And I think people that think that you shouldn't, they're living in a utopian fantasy. If you think that somehow, well, if if I get rid of my gun and if everybody just got rid of their guns, everybody would be fine. Well, that's great. And that's a wonderful idea. And, and what color is the sky in your world? It's a different world than it was 200 years ago. You know, nuts that want guns are going to get guns. And they're going to commit crimes with guns. Again, beating a dead horse. All right, we've talked about it. We've split it up. We've gone through it all. Let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll get into something else. I don't even know. You know what's funny is I really don't have a whole lot of prep here. I I think I do have a worst song of the week to provide for you. And maybe I'll do that or maybe I'll table it for another time. It's We've already done a long show. We've talked about a lot of stuff. I've laid a lot of things out there. It's been very heavy. We'll try and lighten it up in the next segment, okay? It's the zip code famous Michael Groff Show. Broadcasting from a cluttered dungeon that hasn't seen the light of day in years. The zip code famous Michael Groff Show. We all have a weakness. Some of ours are easy to 
version, the acoustic version, the demo version. So what? I like Autograph. They had one, they had this song. It was a good song. What can I say? Back with segment number three, it's the zip code famous Michael Grob show. Mike at KMGX.com, the email address. It's Mike at KMGX.com, Michael Grob show, AOL Instant Messenger. Michael uh, Graf, uh, what is it? On Twitter, yes. Michael Graf on Twitter. Graf Show on Google Talk. And, of course, for everything else Michael Graf related, including the ways for you to listen to this podcast, leave your feedback, your reaction, comments, questions, suggestions, donate to this program. All of that can be done at the one and only michaelgraf.com. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the melodic tones, the dulcet tones of... Uh, of autograph. Why not? Here you go. I've always threatened that. By the way, this is uh, deep in our acoustic library. I've always threatened that I would just come in here and play music one day. Now, that would be mailing in the show. I think anybody would agree that if I just came in here and played some tunes and talked a little bit between them, did a more traditional style radio program. That'd be kind of mailing it in, right? I don't know. I'd do it. I've threatened to do it for years. I haven't done it. We used to do the countdown show years ago, but I don't know. Probably won't. Um, Alright, so we need to lighten up the mood just a little bit Here's a little bit from the Michael Groff Show stupid news file uh, The big mystery in Canada has been solved Some master criminal This is, see here in the US we worry about shootings We worry about murders We worry about all sorts of stuff like that In Canada, they worry about things like who stole 10,000 barrels of maple syrup valued at $20 million. They had, that's a big mystery that's been going on in Canada. Well, it's been solved. 
Quebec Provincial Police say that they have captured, they've solved the massive syrup heist. Police say that they arrested three people um, and are uh, looking into five others who stole $20 million worth of syrup. They took it from a warehouse in East Montreal in August of 2011 and as well as uh, this past July. They, I, I guess from August of 2011 till this past July. Quote, two-thirds of the stolen syrup has been found. They eat the rest of it. Richard uh, Villiris, 34, Avic Caron, 39, and a third unnamed suspect were to appear in court in Quebec. They face charges of theft, conspiracy to commit theft, handling of stolen goods, and fraud. Police say that they seized vehicles used to transport stolen maple syrup and executed several several search warrants in Quebec, New Brunswick, Ontario, and several northern U.S. states. Officers uh, said that they seized two forklifts for syrup kettles, platform lifts, and six electronic scales. Don't steal maple syrup from the Canadians. They take that stuff very seriously. Hockey and maple syrup. See, right now, since there's no hockey to watch, Canadians are pissed off. You start taking maple syrup, bacon, that would be another thing. You don't want to take away from Canadians. Their awful beer that they drink, that that terrible, like, uh, you know, all of that awful uh, Molson. Don't mess with that. Don't mess with their maple syrup, their bacon, or their hockey. Quebec produces up to 80% of the world's maple syrup every year. I see you learn something new every day. The province's Syrup Producers uh, Federation has managed the world's strategic reserves for the past 12 years. Who knew? This is a very weird story right here. Um, From L.A., a Christian radio show host and former Major League Baseball pitcher Frank Pastor has died after complications following a November motorcycle accident. Uh, The death came nearly a month after his November 19th crash on the Foothill 210 freeway. Uh, The accident occurred as Pastor was on his way home from his daily radio show on KKLA 99.5 FM in Glendale. Officials at KKLA, which announced Pastor's passing on the website, could not be reached for comment. A beef and a brief and prophetic audio clip from Pastor's final show accompanied the death notice. Check this out. This is what the dude said on his last show. Quote, you guys know I ride a motorcycle, right? So at any moment, I could be spread all over the 210. But that's not me. That's that's not my body parts, Pastor said. That's a little creepy. Uh, the wife says, quote, I just lost my beautiful husband. But it's comforting to know he's home with the Lord now. People are calling in and crying and mourning with us, she said. I want to thank so many people for their outpouring of love and support. That's really helped to sustain our family during the uh, difficult time. Well, that's it's a sad story, but kind of weird that he sort of oddly predicted his own death. And then we have this. A 33-year-old man had to be rescued. Of course, this is uh, the holiday season, so we have these kinds of stories now. Just like at Halloween, we had all these stories about people banning 
uh, Halloween and uh, replacing it with fall festival and Halloween related hijinks. Now we have Christmas related hijinks. We have a 33 year old man who had to be rescued by firefighters after he was stuck in a chimney at San Francisco Pacific Heights in a San Francisco Pacific Heights neighborhood. The man whose name was not released because we'd all make fun of him got stuck around 11.30 p.m. Sunday, according to Fire Department spokeswoman Mindy Talmadge. It remained unclear what he was doing there in the first place. Police first reported uh, that to the house that the 3300 block of Clay Street, uh, they, called, uh, they called firefighters who had to break away some of the bricks to get the man free. He was stuck inside for an unmarry hour and was taken to San Francisco General Hospital for treatment of cuts and scrapes, according to police spokesman Gordon Shy. They said that the man was being pursued by police and climbed up the chimney to try to hide. They didn't know why police were trying to get after the man in the first place, so... He, uh, he got stuck in a chimney. I'm sure we're going to have more stories like that. In fact, that is actually the second stu- such story of a guy getting stuck in a chimney for the week. All right, look, I can't even talk. And um, we've, we've been on the air for like uh, an hour and a half or seven hours or something. So um, I do owe you a worst song of the week, and I intend to keep true to that promise. So ladies and gentlemen, here we go. It is time on the program for the worst song of the week. As you know, uh, the record company, the music industry has, well, it's been on a downhill slide for a long time. The quality of music has been going down and uh, we try to point that out on a regular basis on this program. And we do that with the worst song of the week, a a song that we feel that has come out in the recent uh, several months that is just so awful. It, it exceeds all expectations of awful music and it should be pointed out immediately so that, I don't know, we can try and do something to stop it. I, I, don't, I don't think you can ever really do anything to stop But I guess this is just an educational part of the show. So this week, the worst song of the week is brought to you by Kesha. Oh, good old Kesha again. Kesha's always on the worst song of the week. Um, this is a, a bad even for Kesha. This song is called Come On. C apostrophe M O N. It's very awful. It's very disgusting. And it's right here on the Michael Graff show. I'm going to hit the post right now. feeling this song will be number one the worst song of the week usually winds up getting into the top 10 sometimes like the top three this is so bad it has the potential to be number one on, on. 
have more than one of the worst song of the week uh, nominees. This is just the one I thought was the worst. That's terrible. If you think that I'm making this up, that we have many, many songs that could be the worst song of the week. All right, here is, let me just give you one more example and then we'll get out of here. This is Far East Movement featuring Cover Drive. And uh, this song is called Turn Up the Love. Now this song actually doesn't start out too bad. But it goes downhill in a hurry. It's almost tolerable, right? Here we go. And awful. Get it poppin', pop to Molly. Dirty bass, we so bad about it. Out. Too legit, we can't go to the party. Super freaks, no Illuminati. So, one, two, hit the booze. We on one, two, hit the booze. Yeah, yeah. Get it loose, cause the sheep don't. Oh, jeez, I gotta hit the booze over here. Drop it. Oh, L-O. V, gotta get mo. Yeah. So clap your hands, clap, clap your hands. Like, how do you start out a song and it's going well? You got the piano, you got the nice vocal. And hey, you got to bring it in over here. Yeah. Why not just have a little aw oh, going in the background here? Yeah. Yeah, we go turn up the love. Where's that part? That part's coming back, you know. This is second place on worst song of the week, but barely. Go ahead now, floss your love like a heart of gold. Dirty bass will make a tootsie roll. If you tall low on the floor, I got a crew that'll handle that cookie jar. Damn, I ain't trying to be rude. Spread love like a guest list, you plus two. That's what you call a move. Okay. All right, thank you. All right, there you go. Those uh, That was the worst song of the week and the runner-up for worst song of the week. Just to prove that we have more than one. Actually, there's even more than that. But I think you get the point that I actually do rigorously search. Lest anyone think that I uh, I don't uh, work diligently on this program and to find some of the worst songs out there for worst song of the week. Mind you, it is pretty easy. I can just grab any song that's somewhere remotely on the pop chart. On any chart, almost. Pop chart, R&B chart. If it's done by Nicki Minaj or Kesha, it's obviously going to be the worst song of the week. It's got to be. All right, Mike at KMGX.com is our email address. It's Mike at KMGX.com. Michael Groff Show, AOL Instant Messenger. Michael Groff on Twitter. Groff Show on Google Talk. And for everything else Michael Groff related, you can always go to the one and only MichaelGroff.com. Now, while you're there, I do encourage you to check out the latest podcasts. 
you can sign up for an email notification. So every time a brand new podcast is put out by by me, you'll get the notification. Of course, you do have to whitelist us. In other words, you have to go into your mail settings and make sure that our uh, our site is whitelisted so it's, it's friendly so that it doesn't go into your spam folder or anything, all right? You can also leave your comments, questions, suggestions, feedback to any of our means of communication or even right there on my website. And we do uh, respond to all of that on the air, off the air, whatever. It's all there. At the one and only michaelgraff.com. By the way, you can even donate to this program. That too can be done at michaelgraff.com. Thank you so much for listening. Really do appreciate it. Couldn't do it without you. And it was a very serious program today. And uh, that's just the nature of it. Uh, unfortunately, we, you know, there's a lot of stuff happening, and I know it's the holiday season. And uh, oh well, we'll be back with another episode of this program again real soon. Another uh, show for you tomorrow. We'll try and lighten it up a little bit. It's the Zip Code Famous Michael Grove Show. Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>